Welcome everyone to the Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. They say you cannot be broken. We'll see about that. The Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Take Shelter, is brought to you by Bad Guy Black Car Service, the NYC SUV to shuttle you to your next throwdown ASAP. And here I thought there already was a bad guy car service, but I digress. Pete, as listeners to our pop culture podcast know, last evening we uh, saw Inhumans in IMAX. And uh, should you, dear listener, go see it in the movies or wait until the September 29th freebie TV reveal of it, which will feature more footage, or skip the whole thing entirely. I guess, Pete, they'll have to listen to find out. Yeah, last night we uh, we took the bullet for you, uh, given there's some controversy about attending something with your dollars that is going to give you less than it is going to give you when it airs over TV in a little under a month's time. But we've gone, we've seen it, uh, we've brought you a, a special dinner with Inhumans, uh, podcast that you can check out um, and then make an informed decision. Leave it up to you. Uh, but that's that's there. That's out there. We do that for you. Well, Pete, let's leave Atalan back in the uh, Inhumans portion of the story. Let's get to New York City. Let's crack open the case files to see what our defenders had on the docket in this episode. We begin, Matt, with soaring operatic music. And I know when I turn that on, it means it's time to sit in the back of a van and sharpen objects. I loved the contrast here. It is, of course, hand bad guys preparing to attack our defenders. We see Sawande and his crew in the van. Uh, intercut with that, we see Gao and her crew in shiny SUVs. We see Murakami hitting the street, as well as making his way onto the roof, and then up and over and through a skylight down to where we last left the defenders. And I love that we kind of get this you know, this scene starts out with a flashback and then we end up literally landing kind of in uh, medias rest right in the middle of the story, at least where we left it off last time. And uh, it's, it's, it's a fun way to start things. While I was initially disappointed given the Avengers style, you know, huddle around shot that we got at the end of the previous episode. And that was where the, the screeners left off for me. So jumping on the day of release to watch this, I'm like, all right, I'm ready for this big fight. And here's all these people in vans and SUVs heading there. Um, it holds up better on a second watch in terms of the context that, the last time the five fingers of the hand came together, there was massive bloodshed. We know that bad things go on when they're all there. Here are three of them coming to meet our defenders and stick and the black sky in this poor Royal Dragon restaurant <laughs> <laughs> that just has has suffered nothing but but wrath. And um, it, it's effective knowing 
you know, hearkening back on the, the context they've given for us. So we've got the defenders plus stick. Uh, although Pete, I would consider stick a member of the defenders, but uh, versus Electra and now Murakami. And it's clear on first viewing, clear on second viewing that amidst the mayhem, Alexandra definitely is starting to kind of tiptoe her way out there. Some yeah. of the criticism that she's received previous to this episode and then later on in this episode as not wanting to get her hands dirty seems to be uh, coming to pass indeed. But Well, the- here's a question to consider, and I, I, I pose it here rather than a, a theories uh, segment is that shrewd leadership to know this is not the time, you know, she's been criticized. She's criticized further in this episode for using resources, using the last of their resources. What in, in the episode is called the substance for the first time, uh, whatever it is that, that brings them back to life. Um, would it not be foolhardy for four of them to jump in and black sky and and suffer further losses again given where this episode goes uh by the time that they're over they're short a finger i or at I, least a thumb <laughs> past the knuckle <laughs> i think that the the writing prior to this episode and through the course of this episode is suggesting that indeed she is a little timid to get into the fray there's reference made later on that uh that uh, she has a fear of dying where the others are fighting to get back to kunlun um i would be surprised if in episode 107 reveal she's not a scaredy cat at all in fact she is the dragon or something like that i wouldn't put it completely past the possibilities of the narrative but to me they're they're setting up a fairly uh direct line here in terms of understanding that she pete she's the boss that that can send other other people in to do it but she can't quite seal the deal herself i'm gonna agree to disagree at this point uh what i don't think we can disagree about is that madam gao is a stone cold killer who caps one of uh sawande's guys from the back when uh he is shooting into the restaurant because they want Iron Fist alive. Madam Gao, yeah. I mean, no nonsense. I think, you know, we've we've had Coulson be the glue for uh, the earlier MCU films leading to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Coulson connection in Agent Carter or vice versa. Uh, we've had Claire connecting these Defender shows. We have, Pete, kind of the, the anti-Coulson, the anti-Claire in Madam Gao, <laughs> beloved, despite the fact that she... Not only is is a no nonsense drug runner, no nonsense killer, but as we're going to learn in a little bit, Pete, she might even be a Sith. I don't know. I don't know. Where the, <laughs> where the, I don't know all about these plans here. I'm ready for a New York Comic Con photo session with with Madame Gao. We need to make that happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in fact, Pete, yeah, and I'm not I'm not one to do the posed pictures, but here's the picture right now: Madame Gao in the center of the picture. Uh, cane in hand, facing the camera, looking confident and pleasant. You and I on either side, cowering away at her at her <laughs> no, power. Gang signs, man. Gang signs. <laughs> uh, can, can you spell hand in your finger? Anyhow, um, <laughs> we see Danny uh, moving to protect Jessica as the gunfire is uh, coming down. You know, kind of, kind of 
shelter her with his body and she quickly tells him to get off there's not a ton of jessica jones stuff in this episode to be fair there's also not a ton of iron fist i mean there's there's the fight scenes there's not a ton of story sent her way there's not a ton sent uh danny's way i I think that they 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 pushed in this script to give jessica jones her own voice even though she's not oftentimes um deeply kind of interconnected with the goings-on in the plot again she's in the scenes but it's not you know we have scenes later on where it's you know will daredevil return will the suits return things of that sort there's just a little less for her to do in this episode so they give her things like this and it's nice and pete stick calls it a party as more goons enter i think too just to answer what you're saying about jessica jones they continue to give her you know, the lion's share of the better lines stick gets some good lines too. But yeah, last episode was a far bigger episode for her. This is a Matt Electra episode and the, the conflict that's taken outside there. He, again, to use the star Wars ism, he, he senses that good in her. He's trying to bring her back. Um, they fight brutally, uh, you know, love that the the fight continues inside and outside, and the outside one is far more intimate. Well, and indeed, they end up outside because Stick has just said, if we work together, we'll get out alive. Uh, and Matt follows Electra. He's not working together with the team, Pete. You see how they're still giving us drama in episode 105. It's almost like they're working towards episode 108 entitled The Defenders. Uh, just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Matt continues to say to her as they end up out in the alley, this is not you. That's intercut with Luke and Sawande fighting hard. And uh, also Murakami makes his way out to the uh, to the alley just in time to see Elektra pausing at the sound of her own name. Yeah, and um, even having rewatched it, I'm not not quite clear, but it seems like yeah, he does get thrown by her. Um, so I know that's referenced a little later on and even on a, on a couple views, just because of the angle that it's shot at, it's a little unclear. What is clear and what is a really, really nice uh, little visual flourish, there are some mid shots uh, of the fight where you're not facing the building you're facing the street and you can see alexandra's suv i don't know that it has been completely revealed that she is in that suv at this point when you first see it but it's just it's excellent set dressing um we then are outside the front of the restaurant where sawande says we'll see if luke cage can't uh be broken when he's hit by a garbage truck which was out of the blue and uh, I mean, I didn't fear very much for Luke Cage, but it was a neat way to split up the team and to give some breathing space so now Sawande can escape and, and you know, kind of the fight can start to de-escalate. Do we take points off? We, we've given points for the multiculturalism of the hand, which only makes sense. It's not, um, you know, politically correct. This is an organization that, you know, had different provinces around the world do we take points off as we've done in the past girls fight girls that black men fight black men um that had crossed my mind i think that let me put it this way if you're going to have the little story flourish of one of the defenders gets 
temporarily taken away, oh no, they're in trouble, twist. Not only are they not in trouble, but they've gotten a bad guy. They've captured one of the bad guys. Um, I don't know what the criteria was where Sawande is caught versus uh, one of the others. I mean, clearly they're not going to capture and kill uh, the Sigourney Weaver character in this particular episode. Um, but fine, you've chosen Sawande for whatever reason. What character is best to be swept away by some lethal action? But no, it's not lethal. That's Luke Cage. I don't, I don't know that that fully responds to your concern, and it's a concern I share as well, but that's that's story-wise how I square it. Jessica picks up a dumpster just out of frame uh, with, with ease, which I thought was effective, and then pushes it, um, which gets used by uh, Madame Gao a couple moments later, deliciously. And uh, here is... Um, our, our splinter, Matt, taking the rest of the turtles into the sewer. Yes. I, I, Pete, I still hold out hope, and maybe it'll be a jump the shark moment for Netflix uh, Marvel when uh, it's Defenders versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or teaming up with them or whatever it might be. But I'm still holding out hope, Pete. There's the secret of the ooze. It's down there. It's, it's ooze. There's ninjas. It's, it, 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 it wants to happen. It wants to happen. And they look over uh, Murakami and Madame Gao as uh, Alexandra is safe in her white SUV, having seen all this before we head to Shakara Dojo, Matt. That we do. Pete, this must be a very special episode because it features Colleen Wing. Uh, everyone is glad to be hidden away. Uh, they just accept Jessica Jones, who says she isn't hiding, and she wonders if maybe she isn't the only one doing this for the thrill of it. Again, if she's not going to have a ton of uh, story emphasis, you know, as you said, this is a Matt and Electra episode. This isn't hinging on Jessica Jones and her perspective and worldview and whatnot. Then at the very least, let her be the tether back to our reality to say, all of this is ridiculous. Are we doing this for the right reason? It's it's a good bit of story shading there. And then Pete, oh no, there's a sound at the door. Is it, you know, uh, Stick just said that, uh, you know, we won't be hidden for very long. But no, no, it's Luke who is battered but fine. Better than fine, uh, in fact, he says. Uh, cut to a stolen van, the stolen van. He's got one of theirs. And it's Sawande. I love the expression that comes across Matt's face right before the door opens because of his senses that he knows it's Luke. Um, and it's a really nice way to foreshadow uh, him coming back in there. Uh, we head to the title card, uh, which uh, reveals, uh, nay, perhaps vaguely spoils, that we are going to be overfloweth with uh, with supporting stars. And it also reveals that the episode is directed by Uta Brezowitz. And uh, we have seen her, Pete, most recently doing an episode of Iron Fist, uh, an episode of Jessica Jones, uh, also some Fear the Walking Dead, if you watch that. And uh, all around, a uh, very capable, very experienced gal from uh, Leverkusen, Germany. Black Sky is sharpening her, uh, what was it, the Wizakandi or Wizakushi or the, those little swords that, that pull apart, which I thought were broken. But anyway, <laughs> um, and Alexandra sneaks up on her there and. Um, 
having just suffered essentially this defeat uh, in the in the you know not the scene prior but the one before that at the Royal Dragon and there's a pretty loaded story that uh, that comes from our leader of the hand here. There is particularly as there's there's a flare of uh of disobedience from electra you know she holds the blade up to uh up to alexandra a nice shot of uh you know kind of close-up focus on uh on electra and then the focus pulls all the way to the tip of the sword and whatnot pete that's what you get when it's uh uta brezowitz uh joint here um but we get alexandra's backstory she had a daughter once before she went to kunlun before she learned about the substance her daughter died and Alexandra learned much in her grief, but greatest of all was that she wasn't meant to raise her daughter. She was meant to raise the Black Sky, and the Black Sky has been chosen to fight the Hand's enemies, and now that Alexandra has the, the sword in hand, Electra had better do that, uh, otherwise she will be of no use to the Hand or Alexandra. Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> There's this mother-daughter relationship that they've had the entire time they've been on screen. Um, and we've occasionally seen the tough love, but never to this extent. And obviously in the course of this episode, patience and nay time is running thin for all of our bad guys with the black sky with Alexandra. So it's a pretty interesting power play as far as the dynamics of the organization, as she refers to it. Uh, at this point, uh, Murakami interrupts, reporting that Sawande was taken, and Alexandra reminds him uh, that they are all immortal, so, you know, sometimes stuff happens, no big deal, bro. Um, <laughs> bro. <laughs> which, is, which is a thread picked up on later, which is certainly an interesting perspective that... They've all been alive for so long that these little, uh, you know, <laughs> these little little uh, bumps in the road, like being captured by four superpowered people, it's not that big a deal over the course of the the years and the decades and the centuries. But hey, Matt, reinforcement from South America is arriving soon. Ooh, that it is. The story moves elsewhere to a. It's either a resplendent set. Uh, that that is made up to look like a broken down theater, or it is a real location with a broken down theater. Made me wonder if maybe story wise, this is supposed to be the one that was destroyed in uh, in Luke Cage. Uh, regardless, though, it's all our defender heroes. It's Sawande who awakens. Uh, they're ready to grill him, but Stick reminds everyone that Sawande is Kunlun trained, trademark Kunlun, uh, and he can handle he can handle a rough interrogation. Yeah, I like that. Uh, again, Jessica gets some some teeth here, waking him up. Uh, you know, this is happening now. <laughs> um, but Sawande, uh, you know, this this performer just eats it up. Pete, actor Babs Olusumukun is fantastic here as Sawande. Particularly, you figure this is an actor who, uh, I mean, has has lived around the world, fluent in Portuguese, French, etc. So he, he's lived his life. He's playing a guy who is who has lived many, many lives. And I think, you know, it would take a lesser actor 
to to not give uh, give someone the the sense of of uh, weight and earth earthliness and and what am I trying to say? Just to to be a long lived person. He kind of he looks like an old. He comes across as an old soul, despite the fact that you know the actor is young and fit and all this stuff. The menace, too, particularly with the story he relays a little while later um, to stick about the the chase and and listen, these people have lived long enough. They've they've all been captured a time or two. Um, and it's particularly chilling the way he relays that tale. So, yeah, it, tremendous performance um, in what it seems is probably his last episode. Well, there's another story, Pete, and that's the story of what the hand wants to do with Danny Rand. There's a great distinction here made by Sawande. The hand wants the fist. <laughs> However, Danny Rand is a failure, a failure to his people, a failure to his city, and a, a, a little hate here on uh, on Danny Rand. The dumbest iron fist ever, which, you know, out, out of context, a lot of people would have been cheering there. But, um, you know, Matt, you've been saying it, and I agree with you. Defenders redeems iron fist with each passing episode. It, it, it really does. It's insane how, again, I don't, just because because it was not a great experience watching Iron Fist. I'm not racing back to watch it, but it gets the memory of it gets better and better and better. On some rainy day, might I go back and, and rewatch Iron Fist season one? I think maybe, Pete. I really do. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. I, I, I can tell our listeners that is a 180 from uh, from Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, off mic. Not not that we say different things when we're not on the mic, but uh, Jessica wants to solve this with force, and she's held back here because Sawande uh, is not dealing in force. He is dealing in psychology here. He references the one who got in her head so long ago Kilgrave, which is certainly her button to push and suddenly the web of these people everybody they love something that matt murdoch since season one of daredevil has been fearing that all these other people will be in jeopardy and it comes beautifully to pass in this episode yeah between references to jessica's own failure uh, mentioning Kilgrave, uh, also promising collateral damage towards the nurse, the woman on the radio. It's a moment, you know, and here we are, the fifth of eight episodes. It's a moment to kind of take take everything to measure and say the defenders are kind of doing a lousy job, probably peaks. They need to come together more as a team for, you know, more team building. Um, but there now is this very real threat. Uh, and I like, though, that the threat is out there, but it's not presented as the ticking time bomb, um, particularly as we're going to start to go collect uh, the supporting characters from the other series. Yes, there's a hurry up to it, but it's not like one of your friends will die in 30 minutes. It, you know, it's a little bit more nuanced. You can have a fast scene like we have next cut to Claire's apartment. Luke wants Claire to pack a bag. She quickly intuits that the hand is ready to to unleash backlash after that slightly slower scene with Bakudo after that 
very very talky scene with uh, and not i don't mean that critically but a very very kind of slow and talky scene uh with matt and karen in a little bit so i, I just love that it gives some space to breathe yeah we've had a lot of action and the point's been drilled home that collateral damage not just the city but people in this city their city that are important to them are seriously in jeopardy because that's what the hand does and um you know luke checking in with claire uh the apology there that he didn't mean to make his trouble her trouble given how much trouble poor claire has been around for all these shows uh is is certainly an admission concurrent to this outside the apartment danny and colleen wait there's a really great extended shot of colleen as viewed through the side mirror on the suv it really captures this distorted view that she has of her world has of herself all this chaos and things being turned around um colleen is upset though that danny has brought in these particular defenders by colleen's measuring pete i suppose that they aren't properly anti-hand yeah um and there's a great deal of gestalt out of uh colleen in this episode and it's perfectly understandable and it's a nice arc too we see her here she's She's in the denial phase. She hits, um, you know, grief, sadness in a little bit. And then, you know, when she gets the katana back from Misty, no surprise there, Daughters of the Dragon confirmed and coming. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a nice secondary arc in this episode. With that, Pete, two SUVs roll by. Oh, boy, is Madame Gow afoot? Uh, that's what we're meant to think anyway. Danny follows them one way. Colleen takes a different route. By the way, Pete, as Danny enters the alley, can you care? Would you care to guess what color the uh, the, the lights are <laughs> behind him? I've I've dug how they've mixed it with the different characters now. Um, in the Royal Dragon restaurant, there was a really deep purple hued section that they put Luke against a couple times. And again, so much of what, if not all that occurs in the screen is intentional. Um, and that cross permutation of, of the tones, I think is, uh, is something that plays very well visually. I will be slightly more pessimistic. I will say that I think that when they saw the result of what I assume was SJ Clarkson, the director of the first two episodes, her her stylized plan to do it by kind of you know defender colors i think that as they got the footage back they said we can't continue this for the remaining six episodes so uh i i think as you said pete they're looking to do atmospheric they're looking to do slightly stylized <laughs> i think they're probably trying to avoid the you know in the red corner and in the purple corner <laughs> type stuff but hey but kudos back matt Bakudo's back. All right. Um, pr quickly preceding his return, there's a there's a quick, raw and brutal fight. Danny uh, being attacked by goons. Um, elsewhere in the alley, that's where Bakudo reveals himself to uh, to Colleen. She calls him Sensei. That's 
essentially backstory, but delivered without appearing to be like in humans, in, in, in inhumans, I should say, where there's uh, they go out of their way to deliver you kind of like a previously on. Um, we also get her next line, you're supposed to be dead. Effortless exposition, effortless backstory here. Uh, the fight that unfolds between the two is excellent as well. Colleen using her katana while Bakudo shows no weapons, offers no strikes, merely ducks and twists and turns. It's a nice twist on uh, a trope here, the the student and the teacher. Um, but she's stayed to the good side, whereas he was the evil influence Um all under the the mask it seemed in iron fist of altruism not something that fully comes across here but we get what we need to um and that uh danny is around to see their fight she gets cut across the stomach um and again we've, we've got to have something to push us out of this scene um and uh luke being there as well to you know, witness another one of the five fingers of the hand. Uh, indeed, Bakuto promises a next time Iron Fist, and he's just on the edge of being cartoon villain, but he doesn't cross the line. And to me, it's just this promise, you know, Bakuto will return in one of these three episodes, uh, three remaining episodes. And uh, I, it's, it's all just a fun bit of story there. And then, Pete, we cut to Karen Page, the only one working at a newspaper, Pete, this is a very special episode indeed, what with now two supporting characters from two different shows coming back. And uh, there she is working away in, uh, in uh, was it Ellison or was that the editor? Who is the, who's the deceased reporter? Come on, man. Ben Urich? Yes. Uh, thank goodness she's kept his office the way it was previously so we can identify it. And, you know, that's what you do. You move into a dead person's office and you leave everything the way it was but pete i won't quibble too much um so much was made of bringing back all of these supporting players from the various feeder series i mean they they got pretty much their each uh solo or even tandem announcement based on you know what series they were coming from that being said it's really difficult to service this number of characters in an eight episode run. Um, so it, it's, I don't think you can fault it for feeling a little uneven when we're back to Karen for the first time in, in what four episodes. Yeah. And certainly it's welcome. And this is the scene perhaps best of all that, that is able to breathe and is able to be its own thing. Uh, because there's not the ticking time bomb of one of your friends will die. You know, the notion that just the hand is coming for them, so they need to be protected. You're not beating right. over the head of it because each of these scenes needs its progression and its breath. And here we have Karen upset that Matt is doing it, heroing again. He denies it, tries to smooth things over, but then admits that he is doing it again. But this time, Pete, it's because it's really, really needed. Yeah, and you have to check in again with these various supporting characters. It's been a while since we've seen uh, Karen. We know of the relationship and, you know, the status that um, 
Matt had explained to Foggy a little earlier on that they're trying to figure things out. And that's what this this scene is. Here's here's where I am. I'm back at it now. Here's where you are in a deceased character's office as a journalist really quick into dominating the front page in your career. Pete, well, I, I just want to, to the story's defense, if we assume that New York also has the Times and the Post and the Daily News and the Wall Street Journal um, and the one that's owned by Kushner or whatever. The, the Peach Paper. <laughs> the Peach Paper. If we assume all of that, then we could assume that the Bulletin um, is maybe the smallest daily newspaper in the city. So I think there's there's a little wiggle room there that also suits, you know, smaller sets. And it's not the multi-story uh, uh, bullpen for the New York Times and whatnot. Um, you know, I'm just throwing it out there that all these signs, which are not intentional, you know, Karen's got to end up somewhere and they're going to build a set to suit their needs and not to be this, this grand dramatic thing. Um, but it all fits that the, the bulletin is a small little, little bulldog of a newspaper fighting hard. There's um, no denying that Karen page is a go-getter. We've seen it on the legal side. We've seen it as, you know, she's, she's a junior, um, Jessica Jones when it comes to tracking down some things, I think. JJJ? Back to, yeah. Right. Jessica uh, Jones Jr. Trip, triple J when it comes to, you know, putting two and two together, tracking down um, Fisk's mother and, and getting that backstory, uh, killing uh, Wesley. <laughs> you know, we've we've still got that dark corner that that's not been probed. Um, and, and then there's the relationship and, and the future appearance with uh, Frank Castle with the Punisher. Uh, to consider as well. So she is a, a character with so many uh, facets. Um, that being said, and and how you're qualifying it, you know, okay, to be on the front page of the bulletin with a bullet, I guess it's just again with with my background it, and and understanding that that's something that happens. You wind up on the front page, you know, after putting in a lot of dues. Well, Pete, here's what she is not. She says she is not a part of any of this anymore, which is when Matt flips it around. The hand might be coming after Matt Murdoch's peeps. So, Karen, you indeed might be part of this. And it's a really nice, slow reveal as to the core of this scene. Matt is there to take her to safety, but... That's only revealed about 75% into the scene. I love it. Yeah. And to get these characters to come together and have to stay together at a point of, uh, you know, terror for them works perfectly with Luke checking in on Misty at the NYPD. Pete, did you know that I can, I can tell the future? No, you can't. Here, I, I could tell the future right now. I want to I wanna document that right now it is September 1st, Friday, September 1st, almost 8 o'clock p.m., and I can see into the future an email that we are going to get from our pal Robert Frost, Robert T. Frost, in response to what I'm about to say. So get ready, the future. So, Pete, Luke is in the back area of our favorite uh, Harlem police station. You know, the back area of police stations where police offices... Uh, are their desks, their stuff, you know, the water cooler, um, 
Luke is just kind of wandering around back there without an escort. That's the way all police stations are, right? You just kind of walk on in. You wander on around. He's Harlem's hero, though, Matt. This is a special case. And though we have uh, law enforcement who listen, I think they're going to at the same time see the possible reality of here's a bulletproof dude who's shown he can do a solid for law enforcement who has this cred with this detective in the middle of a citywide investigation. So, all right, he, he moves past the podium there and, and, and goes to the to the back area. I, I, I will grant you that is tough to argue against. But uh, bottom line, Luke is there to tell Misty that baddies are coming, but he's not going to say who or what or where, <laughs> despite knowing that they're on the same side. It, Pete, it's like it's like time travel rules almost. Like I can't I can't tell you that 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 Lyndon B. Johnson will be president. Otherwise, you'll end up being your own grandpa. Um, but indeed, Misty. You know, she she shoots it down the middle here, though he can only tease these are the same people that killed Cole and she's sharp. You know, is this the, the same people? Uh, are you somehow involved with the four star uh, spit show at the Chinese restaurant? <laughs> it was a great line. Uh, it is. And it's this whole scene is interrupted by Colleen, who has entered bleeding. Um, I just want to point out, Pete. That is a great place to take a wounded person, the back area of that particular Harlem police station, as opposed to, if you're in Harlem, uh, the Harlem Hospital Center, the St. Nicholas Clinic, Beth Israel Medical Center, or even the New York Presbyterian Hospital, if you don't mind going down to 118th Street. My point is, it's a little contrived for somebody who was legitimately cut by a knife in the stomach. Obviously, you know, it's the quick... It's the quick stitch up that we see off camera and the and the uh, the the rather large adhesive bandage on there. So I understand that it's only into the skin, perhaps the minimal amount of fat. I say that with nothing but love, of course, to uh, to, to Colleen. No I organs. I got to bust you on New York Presbyterian. Uh, we call it Columbia Press around these parts. Well, I, Pete. All I did was I did a Google search for hospitals in Harlem and uh, no police stations came up. That's my point. Yeah. Well, back with our uh, Sawande stick tandem here. And here's where we get that really loaded story about a time he was captured before by the chase. Oh, it's after wonderful. a little bit of blind humor from stick. Yes. Stick can get away with it, Pete. Sticking it away with it. Um, Sawande's story is a perfect story about patience. Again, kind of kind of coming back to this theme of if you don't die or if you can come back from death, then you know how, how bad can any one day be? Uh, the hand had circled the chaste in a, uh, I think he said castle or fortress or something like that. Uh, and it was a the, fortress. The fortress. The plan was simply to wait the chaste out. Uh, paranoia, lack of water, lack of food consumed them. It took them 10 days to give up. But the implication is, what's 10 days when you are immortal? And uh, Sawande promises it won't be long until the chair becomes a throne, Pete. Oh, man, it's it's going to be the, the metal throne. This, uh, you know, defeats the trope of the bad guy allowing him to, uh, allowing himself to get captured in the way that they break this scene down ordinarily, you know, it's 
the Joker. It's the bad guy in the one Bond movie with Daniel Craig. It's Khan. They get captured and it's part of a larger plan to do this. No, this is I got captured bad on me but you know what i'm a i'm gonna make some uh lemonade out of these lemons and uh as you run out of lemons and you eat the rinds and you guys lose your mind uh you're gonna worship me eventually it's it's dark it's foreboding uh there's a little bit of humor to it um between the the interplay the characters have and it's a good fulcrum for a guy who's seen a lot like stick to need to leave the room and confer with matt well hey pete knock knock who's there matt (laughs) i know it's matt (laughs) it's matt murdoch and uh he's there you're matt murdoch uh no i'm daredevil um matt murdoch is there to say that everyone is getting to safety um, and Stick puts Matt up for the role of defender team leader, and Matt kind of chuffs at it. Uh, we're kind of back to a lot of the, you know, don't, don't, don't tell me things, de facto dad. I hate you. I hate you. You're so uncool teaching me ninja things. I've uh, given him a hard time about how Matt is a different character, how Charlie Cox seems to play him differently when uh stick is on screen and and prodding him and he holds back here for uh you know one of the rare times despite the fact that this leadership mantle is is placed at his feet but stick's not a stupid character um he's not tremendously sentimental but there is a little vein of it in there and there's that foster dad kind of coming to the surface before we get the foster sister. Well, with that, Pete, we cut to Trish talks, Trish talking, Trish talk out at a fancy <laughs> dinner with her staff, her staff, which doesn't speak, which means Pete, you pay them extra money, not performer money. I mean, extra. I don't think it's staff. I think these are suits, Matt. Staff suits, whatever it is. It's people that you don't got to pay more than, I don't even know if that counts as featured extra or if you just got if they're just normal extras. Well, who's um, going to point to to a shadow of a woman there and say that was me? That was my day on the on the on the uh, dare on the daredevil on the defender set. Hey, it's all possible, Pete. Uh, Jessica is there and grabs Trish, explaining that stuff is going down and they need to get to a safe place pronto. They take one turn. No, 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 there's guys there. They double back. They go up the stairs, which which wouldn't have been my um, instinct. I know that they need to get to an unused portion of the restaurant. So that's that's bathed in uh, before purple and now red and purple, Matt. What's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is Murakami is there. Um, He hits Jessica pretty hard. Indeed, he takes out the knife. He's about to stab her. Uh, But uh, Jessica Jones is saved by Daredevil. In a moment that I felt like it should have been more triumphant since it is the reveal that Daredevil is back and Matt is wearing the Daredevil outfit again and essentially Daredevil is back. There could have been this moment of camera zooming in to be like, Daredevil is here. Oh, well. The three-way fight is a good one. They successfully fought the impulse to, to play that up, and I think it would have been incongruent 
within the episode and particularly the way the scene's constructed. And by the time they kick him off the little balcony there, cut to shot of white dude with (laughs) double fisting looking around like, wait, did a dude just fall down here and, and I didn't see him now? What just happened? Yeah, I will quibble a tiny bit about how Murakami is thrown off the balcony and mystically disappears. I get that he has mystical powers, so small quibble there. Uh, it certainly is not impossible in the the world or the perspective of the world that, that Defenders is giving us. It, to me, it was just a little too cutesy. But Pete, can you take us back to the police station? Well, we know we're in a police station, Matt, because there are police extras who are handing each other files and stuff. So that means police work is happening on TV. There is an awful lot of uh, paperwork involved in being a being a, a member of law enforcement. And I know it's a cliche and and we know that it goes on in the real world. But how about just show us two cops and hey uh other cop did you catch the bad guys great all right and now we're in that back place where it is apparently doubling as uh an er (laughs) indeed colleen is patched up by claire and colleen at this point breaks down emotionally saying she just wants something stable in light of her whole worldview that has collapsed in the course of iron fist season one pete once again it's getting better um elsewhere at least it felt like elsewhere in the room although we're going to see in a little bit they're actually at the same table uh but malcolm is there too and his hair looks epically awesome i actually wonder if a significant chunk of time uh went from his earlier episodes to this one which if they spent uh, four or five months um doing all eight episodes you know it, it could have been quite some time um, regardless, uh, Trish is there too, and they share a little exposition about Daredevil and Coffee, Pete, which there, there, there's a an imperfect metaphor in there, you know, like Netflix and chill or something like that. Daredevil and Coffee <laughs> should totally be a thing. It, isn't it Luke Cage and, and Coffee too? Well, I, I, I guess we're... <laughs> worlds are colliding, Matt. Worlds, worlds are colliding. Are colliding. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one after another here. It's, it's Colleen and Claire who have this association, but then, uh, Malcolm and then Karen and Foggy and, you know, one at a time they're coming in and I'm like, Matt, Matt, this is, this is it. This is, this is our defenders, uh, you know, supporting character team up scene. Indeed, Pete, it really feels like a special moment as we see the uh, the four shows melting together. And I also had to wonder, too, if uh, there's just maybe, maybe a tiny seed of a future Karen-Foggy relationship, Daredevil Season 3, something like that, uh, that we get here. I mean, there, there's been that held out since the characters first met in the beginning of that series. Um, but this scene is about bringing everybody together and you've got an important person from each of those character name shows who is not that named character. And I think it's, it made me think of arrested development and, you know, much was made in the fourth season that they couldn't all be on screen, uh, 
you know, apart from like two scenes, uh, something that, you know, the original show on, on Fox obviously did all the time because that's how you regularly shoot a TV show. But to get all these supporting characters and to get them, I like the word that you used before melting together. Uh, I like what, what's going to come here of, uh, of Misty and, and Colleen and the way that their scene turns out. Yeah. Misty comes in, tells everyone to stay put essentially um, it was at this point that it kind of, the camera made it clear that Colleen and Claire are at the same table as Malcolm and Trish, you know, minor kind of geography quibble there. Um, you know, no harm, no foul. That just means Pete that at that table, there's two Australians, a Brit and a New Yorker, at least in real life. Anyway, we also get Misty talking to Colleen. Hey, you can't go walking around with a katana and, uh, Colleen just wants to bounce. She can handle herself. Uh, Misty doesn't seem too worried. After all, Pete, what can the hand take from a cop? And gives her the sword there. A tremendous amount of trust, uh, you know, to uh, motion to the, the, you know, uniformed cop to give her her sword back, albeit in a in a precinct house. But but still, you know, to arm a citizen with that type of weapon before we go, Matt, to the hands imperial uh office space yeah i wondered if this is supposed to be somewhere in the middle and circle complex uh, i mean i guess that's what or the sense. death star or the death star that's true Star killer base <laughs> whatever never... it's gonna be it's got that cut out you know uh light albeit window feel to it and you've got gao you've got bakudo and um you know, you, you check in on uh, Kun Lun, which they have that that painting of that was seen earlier in the um, the, the swordsmith's uh, workspace where everybody was wiped out and uh, Sticks seems to have survived. Never really got back to what may have been taking place there, which I find interesting in, in, in our discussion. Um, but... The, the differences between the fingers of the hand, uh, th- this could have been played very, um, you know, Austin Powers-ish, you know, the, the different people coming together. You know, you've got Dr. Evil, you've got uh, Fat Bastard, you've got uh, Goldmember, uh, but it, it, it doesn't fall into the trap of that. It's uh, it certainly is a solid scene. Uh, before too long, Alexandra and Murakami arrive. Alexandra is ready to uh, to take control, but Murakami says they need to talk about. Let me just check what the Japanese word is here. Daredevil. Yeah, I I dig when uh, anglicized words are spoken in other dialects and overpronounced. I remember watching Telemundo or another maybe it was Univision when I was a kid and um, or in like Spanish class and you'd see a commercial for Purina dog chow and they would so over the top uh, you know emphasize the syllables Purina dog chow and here <laughs> daredevil um, you know it, it's a it's a function and to get him to say a, a, a name in English here is effective uh, they fear 
this team up. You see it for the first time. You do. And we cut to Daredevil, who has put a wire around Swande's neck. He says that uh, Swande says that even if he were to be killed, he has armies. And he also reiterates that Elektra is just an obedient vessel. Uh, Daredevil gives the uh, gives him back and forth, though, saying that uh, Elektra stopped killing Daredevil twice now. Uh, however, Matt is goaded into letting Swande fall. Good news, he's not dead. He's just passed out. Not um, yet. And it's foreshadowing of the, the fate at the end of the episode because you got the feel, given Matt's investment in Elektra, that he was going to... You know, I say pull the trigger, but obviously, you know, pull tight enough on his baton wire thing to uh, to make so Wande uh, not be a problem anymore. Well, Pete, it's time for Maddie to reveal to Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist the truth, the truth about. <gasps> well, we cut back to that hand meeting, and uh, they're 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 shocked. Daredevil is back. Daredevil hasn't come back. Uh, Daredevil hasn't been around for a while. Um, and that's not even an issue because we have Electra. Uh, that's when Murakami starts to think that Electra was not the empty vessel that was promised. Really interesting phrase there. The implication is, of course, that uh, Alexandra has dropped the ball in making a unilateral decision to use the last of the substance. Um, and this is something that now affects the whole group, Pete. It does. And I think this setting really ups the tension amongst the four of them. One of the fingers is captured. He's being interrogated. Uh, he's seemingly awaiting rescue. They're criticizing their leader and wondering whether somebody else needs to be in that spot, whether uh, the, the actions that she's taken are appropriate. The word unilateral is, is used uh, one finger, Matt, doesn't do things independently of the other. Uh, they've got to work in concert, and this organization uh, has issues right now. Well, death is a possibility for Sawande, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Uh, Alexander, though, turns hand lemons into hand lemonade. Let's not forget everyone's expendable. Bakudo retorts, so are you. Uh, the divisions increase physically as well. You, you have the three on one side of the table and Alexandra on the other. Uh, and this is when Madame Gao says that Alexandra is afraid of dying, but the others want to go home to Kunlun, implying that you know they will die. They might die. They will risk death to go home. But that is different than just living your life being afraid of dying. Alexandra entered the first part of this scene before the cut back to Sawande and the defenders holding her side and now um, talking about death versus going back to Kunlun. Are they aware that she is dying? I can't imagine how they are aware. But wait, if... she went to this facility that uh, seemingly is a hand facility the very first time we saw her. And it was, you know, even with all your many resources, we can't do anything. How can they not? This is the same hand that this past spring 
one one faction was fighting the other faction and Madame Gao was uh, was imprisoned by Bakuto. Think of that, you know, when there was the fight in the courtyard in, in Iron Fist, uh, you know, the fight of 100 ninjas. Ninja 48 and Ninja 53, they were just doing... Two of my what, favorite. <laughs> they were just doing what Bakuto told them to do. They certainly weren't reporting back to Madame Gao or to Sawande or to Alexandra. So while I don't, I'm not totally committed to the idea that that was a hand hospital, even if it was, it could have been loyal to Alexandra's faction or the people working that day were, were handpicked, no pun intended, due to their loyalty. You know it's personal, Matt, when uh, Daredevil takes off his mask, though. And here he lays it all out. He comes clean about Elektra. Um, resurrection is thrown out again and again and again uh, to the incredulity of um, both Luke and Jessica Jones, new to that phenomenon. Uh, indeed, and it's a nice opportunity to ground this fanciful tale in, uh, you know, this tale of the dead returning to kind of just remind us that this is extraordinary even for them. The verbal fight continues, all while Sawande wakes up and gets out of his binds. He takes a shard of glass and it gets to Danny's neck pretty quickly. Pete, I, I, I've had mostly uh, praise for Iron Fist. I think he, uh, shame on him for letting Sawande get the drop on him here. Yeah, but it's played deliciously after monologuing that uh, you knew somebody was going to pull uh, the trigger on him. Uh, and of course, Sticks got to be that guy. Um, I dug to, <clears throat> excuse me, how it was framed. Um, stick making the slash and then the body falling down. But Scott Glenn is standing in the foreground. The body falls with a head and then behind sticks uh, body, the head comes off. So it was smartly done. Oh, I mean, the whole scene was well done right before that stick kind of wanders out of view of the camera, not, in any way conspicuous in his absence, um, but then makes it around to be able to chop Sawande's head off, and that was quite a shocking but fun reveal. With that, Pete, we go back to Hand Headquarters, uh, where Alexandra is looking for Electra, but Electra is not there. Instead, she's on, on a rooftop, bathed in what looked to me to be winter afternoon light. Uh, just wonderful use of the scene, the street, the light, and everything. Uh, and then she, Pete, she then descends. And where is she going? Well, that's where I take issue with this. We know only after watching all of these shows where she is. I could see a new viewer coming to the Defenders being drawn like a moth into this flame of four series coalescing into one. Hey, you know, I'm going to check this out. They've been promoting the heck out of it. I've heard of Daredevil before. I saw part of that terrible Ben Affleck movie. Uh, you know, Jessica Jones has gotten good pub. Um, we only know what location we're looking at because we've seen enough of it. Otherwise, it's like, what is this strange warehouse she's going into? Is she going to find the substance? What is this? Um, it's Matt's apartment. But it's not even, I think, apparently abundantly clear to you and I. 
Well, it certainly was clear to me. I think that you raise a good you raise a good concern for the new viewer. She um, sees the trunk. She sees the um, the the leather couches and his, you know, um, studio style apartment there. But the the bedroom and everything there, I I think, I think the uninitiated, um, and granted not many uninitiated or as many uninitiated are watching this series as we might make it out. But, you know, the inherent challenge in any TV show is, you know, someone's going to watch this episode and we've got to, um, you know, straddle a, a very fine line between telling a story and telling the story that's come before. Oh yeah. And show don't tell. Well, we get plenty of show, not tell here. Um, it's excellent camera work. The camera shows us her reactions as she as she uh, allows the moment to silently unfold as she relives the echoes of her former life, indeed remembering where Matt's bedroom is. Uh, and the scene is slow in the best sense. The music is soft. It leads to the emotional realization for us as to what she feels, including the the fantastic moment where she lays down on his bed, curls up, and the scene is capped with an overhead shot that tracks upward as she assumes a fetal position, speaking to the innocence that she once had and the person, Pete, that she may be again. Everyone, turn to your right. It's time for the lineup. Pete, we will start with the late Sawande. To begin the episode with him and then have him be permanently ended as one of the fingers of the hand. They're in a tough place. And, you know, the way this episode ends, what with Electra there, you know, on the outs with the hand, um, them having all come together, but not all having been together on screen. I guess that's the one regret I would have had never seeing all five of them at once in some kind of, you know, five on five type of confrontation. But, um, he was great in the, in the, the time that we had him moving from white hat, somebody you thought was, was just gathering, uh, you know, youths on the streets of Harlem to uh, to do dirty work to being a big bad. Yeah, uh, part of me regrets that we that we need to say goodbye to Sawande um, because there is a charisma to the character. I mean, we could get flashbacks. We could also get that head reattaching itself. Who knows? Uh, we've certainly seen seen people come back. Maybe not from worse, but people come back from comparable deadness. Uh, but Pete, someone who we have not seen dead, but somebody whose power appears to be on the rise is that of Madame Gao. I've said it before. I'll say it again. She's a tremendous asset as both a, a villainous persona and somebody capable of uh, acting without speaking. Um you know, Cap and the guy at the beginning of the episode, one of one of Sawande's guys. Uh, talking smack with Bakudo and then being there uh, alongside Bakudo and Murakami to call um, Alexandra out makes her uh, the, the, the woman of power that she is. 
Well, you mentioned Murakami. He obviously has not been in uh, many episodes. However, the trajectory that we picked up in his very first scene where he's butchering the bear in a prior prior episode, um, we see that here where he's, he's presented as very measured and uh, he might have certain suspicions about Alexandra, but now that the evidence is starting to pile up and here's what he saw with Electra and so on and so forth, uh, there's an intelligence to him and a, a and a purpose to him that I really, really dig. He was assaulted by Black Sky. When when you are harmed by one of your soldiers, by seemingly your best, your top, your most promised, uh, promising soldier, obviously that's an issue. Well, we see in Black Sky now this uh, this wavering element to her. Uh, we've seen it obviously before this episode, but it's starting to really come together, particularly with the fact that she is now searching out her past, as we saw at the end of the episode. It's funny, Pete, the character of character of Electra in the comics, obviously so famous for having burned bright, having burned hot, and then having been been taken out. That's kind of part of the the tragedy of it. It makes me wonder if they're going for the reverse here. There was the quick death, you know, over the course of the first season. Obviously, she's back now. Do we end up with good Electra at the end, and now it's kind of an open-ended future? Elodie Young has brought so much to this role, and you consider how few words she's spoken in these five episodes to this point. Um, but I, I really feel it was a smart decision to turn her into the the weaponized version that they've created here. There was so much about black sky, um, from a, from a foreboding, uh, perspective, not so much from a, a contextual perspective in, um, you know, daredevil. And, you know, we, we had a little bit of, uh, that idea in, in season two. Um, but to, to get the pay, and of course, you know, it, it wouldn't be a Marvel property if it was in some way similar to other ideas that have come before. We've had uh, some of our listeners talk about, is this uh, a version like the Winter Soldier, even, you know, some non-MCU stuff in a, in a Jean Grey um, at play? Well, Pete, moving on to Alexandra, we've seen Sigourney Weaver play opposite a computer called Mother. We've seen her be a de facto mother in Aliens, uh, go up against a bad mother in Aliens, uh, and now she is a, a bad mother herself um, in, in terms of the way in which she is twisting um, Alexandra into Black Sky, pardon me, twisting Electra into Black Sky for her own purposes, going so far as to say, if you don't be the kid I wanted you to be, then, you know, I'm going to boot you out of the nest and it might be with this katana. The whole explanation about having lost a daughter who was not a warrior and she was too good for this world and now I am an awful person and I will raise a terrible weapon. Just wow. Uh, nobody does it like Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Well, Pete, we have Bakudo back. Certainly nice to see him. There's, as I said earlier, there's something in his presentation that could floweth over, but it doesn't. And it just adds to this great, I don't know, this great flourish to the character. There's a slyness. There's a smarminess. Um, 
maybe it was the turtleneck in the first scene where he showed up. I don't know, but there's an attitude, there's an undercurrent that makes him a, a welcome addition to the hand. Time to map out where this train might be heading with some theories. Matt, I'm going to begin the daughter prominently mentioned by Alexandra. Obviously, there's the use of language like my child with Electra, this this foster mother daughter thing that's gone on. Is there something there with the daughter that she lost? I'm going to guess no, if only because the the Marvel Netflix shows tend not to take their season climax to the very end of the last episode. I think that there's a bit of an exception to that with the first season of Daredevil, but you know, after having so many episodes to lead into the big climax, the shows tend to give themselves time to breathe at the end and for there to be the after effects and the falling action and all of that. So with three episodes left, I would expect the big bad showdown, you know, halfway point, maybe three quarter point through episode 108, which means we don't have a ton of setup. To, I don't want to say setup. We don't have a ton of time left to reach that point. We still have yet to get to the circle at Midland Circle. We have yet to get the Iron Fist at the wall to see what's behind it, so on and so forth. There's a whole lot of story guts that need to be explored. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time with flashback or with getting to know these characters these villains much better or have any new revelations in that regard we've heard tell of resources before that they use the last of the resources to turn electra into the black sky to bring her back to life here in this episode for the first time there's repeated reference to a substance what's going on there I think that, uh, look, you can overwrite sometimes. Something tells me they have zero plans on breaking down what the substance is. We're not going to get some sort of, you know, midichlorian answer. We're not going to get some sort of... Uh, no recipe? No uh, no recipe. We're not. Well, I, it's one-third, uh, you know, motor oil. There's some blood in there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just going to be you know they're going to embrace the mysticism of it and say oh it's an ancient and difficult thing and there's all these things that go in it and i think they'll that they'll just leave it at that um are we really to believe that a an organization that um thrives because of its ability to cheat death is out of that substance they're they're on emat and now they're having this discussion well, who have we seen? Who do we know has been brought back by the hand? There's the Five Fingers, there's Electra, and there's Nobu. So, there I were, mean, I could, there were ninjas that had um, that had the uh, the embalming marks and and the cadaver uh, sew up uh, uh, scars. Okay, uh, fair enough. So, so maybe, you know, really good ninja number, maybe he was number 47. You mentioned two of my favorite before. Um, overall, I agree that it's a slightly soft area. However, you know, could we, could we imagine pretty easily that they spent a hundred years getting 
30 doses of the uh, of the substance and because of the wacky and mystical and weird things that have gone on in the last couple of years uh they've used up all of that you know and, and now it's going to take all this lead-in time to make more it certainly isn't impossible particularly as we start to reach a portion of the story where we need to start to cap storylines determine what you know what's going to be a thread for for daredevil what's gonna be a thread for defender season two and what's going to simply come to an end of this storyline alexandra said that she's never felt better than with the black sky at her side yet she's dying and i asked you before does the leadership of the hand know that she is ill stick knows that she is ill what saith you Hmm, that is tough to argue around as well. I mean, if Stick knows it, and particularly, let's see, the Chaste have been uh, have been eliminated for some time. Uh, to, both options can exist simultaneously: that Stick knows, and the hand or the fingers of the hand do not know. But if that is the case, then that's a that's a, an imperfect point in the story. If they move Alexandra out of the way, as it's suggested. Um, does the hand regenerate, Matt? Do new fingers take the place of those lopped off? Well, I don't think that they have ever uh, needed to address that for, for however long they've been trying to get back to Kunlun. My guess would be no, that they created this organization out of the mutual desire for those people to get back and they've had their nefarious means to do that and whatnot. But, um, I think if they lose someone, that is simply it. You just maybe take up that person's turf and divide it amongst the four remaining members. Well, Matt, you know where we, uh, have turf, but we can divide it up amongst many members. That is with the wonderful people who are our patrons. Absolutely helping keep the lights on in our own version of Midland Circle, except we have a nice thing in the basement and not a dragon <laughs> mystical thing or whatever it might be. Um, as always, thank you to those who support us there. We are so proud to be listener supported. And uh, thank you to those who consider it and head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Yes, uh, there's all sorts of uh, levels to consider. Everybody who contributes is going to get exclusive podcast content. And then there's any number of different denominations that you might choose to help us out with. All of them help us with bandwidth, with all the other costs that we accrue in doing this. So uh, we're super grateful for your help and we won't look to uh to to kick you out of the hand oops i mean uh fantastic geek pete here's what our detectives picked up this episode let's start with an email from bruce r Houghton, and uh, he says concerning episode four the uh the episode before this one so Episode four is where they learn it's all connected. Then in parentheses, he says, puts on sunglasses, walks away as Roger Daltley screams, yeah. So, Pete, would you agree that episode four is where they learn it's all connected? I I guess. I mean, um, that's about 
coming together as a team and, and the way that it, it left off. I, I just remember seeing this a couple weeks ago and like, oh my God, how much quickly can August 18th get here so I can see the rest of it? Um, so I guess emotionally, I just wanted to see these characters continue to be around one another. Well, Pete, another way that uh, our mailbag can be filled is with uh, is with reviews on iTunes. And Pete, I think we have a little incentive to uh, to get some of those reviews going. Yes, we have a Funko Pop uh, Daredevil masked vigilante uh, little guy here that is going to wind up with one of the generous people who leaves a review for us on iTunes before we finish our run of uh, eight Defenders episodes. So every review will be entered into the hopper. And uh, when we uh, podcast that final episode, uh, which next time we'll do six, so you've got uh, six, seven, and eight. You've got uh, at least 10 days to get those uh, reviews up there. We will pull a name and somebody will be going home with the Daredevil Masked Vigilante from uh, season one. Pete, uh, after somebody leaves a review, they should send an email to uh, fantasticgmail.com just telling us what their iTunes name is. That way we can match up the winner to, uh, <laughs> to get in touch with them. And uh, also, I will mention that reviews can be left on either the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek uh, section on iTunes or the, uh, the Defenders Podcast by Fantastic Geek. Either one certainly works. Thanks again for all your help. Pete, how else can people be in touch with us? Can people be in touch with you on Twitter? Surely. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,431 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic. With the P and the H. FantasticGeek.com. Fantastic Geek at Gmail. Fantastic Geek on Instagram and Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com uh, forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. There's been a tremendous amount of discussion about Inhumans. Uh, there's been some discussion about Defenders. Come on, Defenders, get out there and, and, and show them that, uh, that, that you matter as well and talk to us on Facebook. Pete, we will be back on Tuesday for episode 106, if you can believe it already, and uh, continue on there. The, the, the end is in sight, and I'm not ready for it to, to end it all, Pete. So we will certainly be back soon. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. We work together. We walk out of here alive. Mm-hmm.